Well, good morning, church. You know, I'm not preaching if I'm sitting here holding the microphone, right? It's like, eh, something's a little different here. I'm, I'm excited this morning to have a friend of mine here to preach. Um, as I said, we're going through the book of James. Um, I'm going to be having different uh, people come up to the pulpit and share. And it was probably a couple months ago. I was sitting there with one of my friends, and he was talking to me about a message he had shared and preached on James. I'm thinking, well, we're in James, and I'm sort of in my mind going through the calendar. I'm thinking, hmm, hey, what are you doing the end of June? Love for you to preach that message at our church. Um, Alfonso, would you please come on up? Alfonso Mack, um, he's originally from South Bend, Indiana, so our schools played each other in sports. I won't, we won't talk about that. But anyway, I don't want to embarrass him. Right? Um, but we'll just say this. He went on to play football at Bowling Green State University, and then he you know, took a shot at the NFL, and the NFL said, no, God's got a different plan for you. And God's like, that's right. I want you to serve me and at H2O Church in Bowling Green. H2O is one of the churches that we support as a missionary out of our church. So, again, whenever you give offerings to this church, we take part of your offering and we bless other ministries. And Alfonso Mack is one of our missionaries. I made the mistake of calling him a pastor this morning. He's not an ordained pastor yet. He's a pastor in training. But after you hear him preach this morning, you're going to sit there and say, no, he's a pastor. He is, he is definitely preaching God's word. Um, I'm very thankful that uh, Alfonso here is my friend, as my brother in Christ, and uh, you are going to be blessed. And so I want to just pray for my brother real quick before you dig into it. So let's pray. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, for your spirit now, Lord, just to move through Alfonso, Lord. May we all be blessed as he opens up your word and as he shares. Lord, make it clear, make it strong. In thy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Rex. Um, Good morning, everybody. Uh, it is a pleasure to be able to dive into God's Word with you all this morning. Um, like Rex said, I'm Alfonso. And I, I, one thing I will say before I even dive in, I love the Bible. Um, I love the Scriptures. My wife gets on me all the time because I would love to talk about this thing all day long. Um, but one of the things that I will say is that as we continue, I know you guys are in the book of James. You're continuing in this series. Uh, you know that uh, Rex probably talked about it, that James is the brother of Jesus, and he's the guy that likes to say things just as they are. He's the guy that likes to not sugarcoat anything. He's just going to tell you this truth straight up. And he's that type of friend and that pastor in your life who literally just says it like, like it is. And you're just like, wow, you did not have to say it with that type of tone. This is what you get right here when you listen to James today. And we'll be diving into this. And James is literally just going to say it. And some of the things that he might say to us today might be painful to hear. This is a really tough sermon for myself to even preach uh, but it will also be one for a hard one for us to hear. But one thing I will say that the kindness and the grace and mercy of God is one that should literally lead us to repentance. It should lead us closer to the feet of Jesus. And so where you probably were last week at the end of James in verses 26 and 27, James is talking about what true religion and undefiled religion actually look like. And he says that some religions out there are literally worthless and they are deceived. Meaning that some people think that they follow Jesus, but by the way that they live and by the way that they actually walk, you might not be able to tell. But he says what true religion looks like is to love the orphan, to love the widow, and to be unstained from the world. That's where he ends in in, uh, verses 26 to 27. And he transitions to where we pretty much are in the text today where he talks about, he continues on to talk about what true and undefiled religion looks like. What true faith in Jesus looks like. And what it looks like is the gospel affecting every aspect of our lives. 
And he says that with some words that might seem stark at the beginning. Essentially, he says that any kind of partiality, any kind of favoritism or discrimination or prejudice towards someone who literally looks different to you is wrong and it does not reflect the glory of our King Jesus. And so what he does is just walk us through the reason why it is wrong. And he kind of helps us to understand how we are called to respond to this. And so really one of the things I want to talk about and this, this, this question that I have to think for us to think about throughout this message is does the way that you view and act towards people who are different to you, does it reflect a heart of love or hate or a, a heart of mercy or judgment? What does that look like? The hope would be that we would all ponder and wrestle upon this text today, that we would not let the time go by as acting as if this does not apply to us. Saying to ourselves that, man, I'm glad sister so-and-so is here and that without actually looking at us. I know she struggles with partiality. But what I want us to all do is actually look within and just evaluate our hearts before the word of God and let us come humbly before our king this morning. And so with that, if you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, James chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 13. And one thing I love to do is stand for the reading of God's word. So if you can open it up and please stand with me this morning. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I'm reading from the ESV. So it might sound a little bit different than some of you. But it says this in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak And so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's three of God's where you may be seated. May be seated. So all throughout the world and all throughout history, there have been many instances where people and different people groups have literally been treated differently. Have been literally ashamed and treated unfairly because of some external circumstances or some aspect about themselves. So if you think about the inception of America and in this country that we live in, if you go back to segregation, the slave trade, if you go back to Jim Crow, or even if you go and you look at the world and you think about the Holocaust or you think about the genocide that happened in Rwanda, what you will see in all of these things, there's this common thread that takes place. It's this devaluing and not, not accepting or looking down upon another human based on external circumstances. And this is something that has even found its way into the church in some ways, as I want to share something from the life of Gandhi. And this is what it, what it talks about. It says, during his days as a student, he read the gospel seriously, and he considered converting to Christianity. He believed that the teachings of Jesus 
that in them he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people in India. So one Sunday he decided to attend service at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his own people. So Gandhi left the church and he never returned. And what he says is, if Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. And this is the same man who also, if you go look at some of his quotes, he says, I love who Jesus is, but I don't like the Christians. I don't like his followers. This usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but it also turned the person away from trusting in him as a savior. And so this form of living has become detrimental to our society, and it has really just been divisive to even the church. And this is something that God himself doesn't stand for. And in this section, James makes it very clear to us how we are called to live. And so this morning, I just have two points for you. And the first one is this. Because of God's grace, showing favoritism as followers of Jesus is unacceptable. Because of God's grace, showing favoritism as followers of Jesus is unacceptable. And that's broken down in the first seven verses. And James helps us see why this is wrong. He starts out very clear here in the, in the beginning. Brothers and sisters or brothers, show no partiality as you hold, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The word partiality just means favoritism. And you might see that depending on what version you might be reading. And this is something that usually happens upon outward uh, appearances, but it's not just likened to outward appearances. The sin of partiality is at the heart of so many of us as we tend to be people who might even drift towards only viewing people in, in their worth based on how they look. Or sometimes it's to even just elevate ourselves by pushing down or discriminating against others. And James gives us something here that kind of illuminates just really how asinine that type of living is. And he adds to it, don't do this as you hold on to the faith. So he's speaking to these Christians and he says, don't do this as you hold on to the faith. But then he gets very specific about what type of faith that is. And he says the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So James is saying that being a follower of Jesus and being prejudiced or showing discrimination or favoritism or partiality literally does not mix. He's saying, how can you be a follower and profess the Lord and show favoritism or prejudice? The two are inconsistent. They do not go together with following Jesus. And he impacts this and he kind of gives us why it doesn't mix by just saying Christ is the Lord of glory. This is the why. Because if Christ is the Lord of glory, he is the one who is able to place the highest value and worth upon anyone. Jesus is the only one who is capable of making judgments and worth of people. And guess what? Jesus is the same one who was with God in the beginning, who literally created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1 talks all about it. He's the firstborn of all creation. He was the one who was standing alongside God in Genesis 1 when they say, let us create man in our image. Let us create man in our image. This is the Imago Dei. This is the image of God that Jesus was a part of placing upon all human flesh. He has distinguished that all mankind has dignity and value, that no one man is better than the other. We all have value. So the black person, the Asian person, the woman, or the short person, we all have value. The list goes on and on. We all have dignity. And God has determined what is glorious and valuable. And guess what? Jesus himself is the one who deserves all glory. Not human beings, 
What happens is we sometimes are elevating certain humans over Jesus. And in this case, in James's case, he's talking about this, this church where they were elevating the rich over the poor and saying that they have the highest honor. But Jesus is the one who deserves the highest honor. The rich and the powerful are no match for Christ's glory. And what we have sometimes done in our society and in the church is contradict God by having devalue others all because of some differences. Our partiality or favoritism, our prejudice reflects what we think is of most deserving of glory. It's really a reflection of what's important to our heart. We all like to like to praise and glorify certain things. And that literally shows what's on the inside of us and what we consider have most glory. So then when I think about that, what types of people do you think have most glory and value? What types of people do you think have most glory and value? We have, we have value not because of what we look like, how good we look, what our smile is, how much money we got in our pocket, the nice clothes we wear. We have value because God himself has literally made us and formed us. He has determined our value. And what James here is alluding to in the text is that we have allowed the world and its evil and our own sin to literally dictate our lives as followers of Jesus and make us judges over who or what has value. We don't realize that this is really just a matter of what's in our own hearts rather than how people actually are. It has nothing to do with how people actually are. It's just what's going on deep within us. Now, I know that this really isn't an easy thing to embrace. It's really hard to hear because especially when we think about our own sin, you think about the fall of man because we don't naturally just drift towards people who, who are like us. We usually sometimes drift towards people who literally look like us, but it's hard to be towards people who are different than us. And sometimes what we do is we look down upon others who aren't like us. And it's natural for us to define what has glory. It's natural for us to define it in our own standards. And rather than looking at the truth of God for what has most glory and value, it's natural to walk in this, which is why we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus for everything that we have. And I know it might be tempting in here within our own flesh to literally think about, well, I don't have much of this going on. I'm not showing partiality. I view all people the same. And I think that James himself knew that there were probably some people in the church who were probably thinking the same exact thing. So he says, you know what? I'm going to give you an example of what this partiality or favoritism looks like. And he says, for if a, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in also, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. When I think of this example, it reminds me of the time, time in life when I get called out for something. My wife does this very often. She's like, hey, you know you did this. And my first instinct would be like, no, no, I didn't. And then what she does is she's like, okay, well, I'll give you a clear example. Remember when you forgot to, you know, take the laundry and fold it up? The basket's still sitting right there. This is kind of what James is doing a little bit. He's just giving him this really clear example of what it actually looks like. And in verses 2 to 3, he's pretty much saying this is what happened. This is preposterous that you have let someone come into your assembly, meaning your church on a Sunday. He's talking to church folk. He's talking to Christians here. You've let someone come in, and this is how you treat them. This is how you treat them. Think about it like this. What would it look like if someone walked into True North Church or walked into a life group or a Bible study and they had tattoos from head to toe or they had dirty clothing on? And then let's just say right behind them walks in a person who looks real good, dressed in a suit and tie. Maybe they might be driving a Tesla. Who knows? They might be looking real good. How would our hearts respond? How would our hearts respond between the two people? 
When we look upon the person who has dirty clothing or head tattoos from head to toe, we look at them with contempt and disgust and maybe say, man, they might be lazy. They need a job or maybe they look like a person I can't trust. I don't want to be around them. Or, and then we would look maybe at the wealthy person and say, man, they have glory. I would love to get to know them. They're esteemed. Or the opposite thing can happen, and we can look at the person with, with, with money who looks good with jealousy and maybe think that they're rich and we think that they're snobby. We just pass judgments on them. Or the real question for us all, would we look upon people with the eyes of the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, who wants all people? How would we respond? If the response in our heart is like the first the first side of it, with contempt and disgust and passing judgments, then James in verse 4 makes it kind of clear, and he calls it pretty much pure evil. He says, we have made distinctions and have become judges with evil thoughts. And these evil thoughts and of partiality discrimination doesn't even have to be between the rich and the poor. It's like, what types of thoughts do we have towards those who have different skin color, who might be tall or short, people who have, in their intellect, Maybe their weight, their socioeconomic status, their prestige, or maybe their gender, their hair, hair type, or better yet, in the type of world we live in, how will we look at a person with a different political preference than us? Like, how, how will we view these types of people? Or maybe for some of us who are Christians in battle with self-righteousness, how do we view the lost person that is in our life or maybe a person that we see at school or at work and we don't want to love them? How do we view these types of people? What types of people make you feel uncomfortable? What kind of people make you feel uncomfortable? Now, I came across something that I wanted to share because it kind of gives us this small picture of of really a a practical example of what evil thoughts actually look like that James is referring to. And this is kind of sad, but it comes from the journal of Christopher Columbus and the way he viewed the Native Americans upon arriving on American soil. And that's what he says. He says they were built, they were well built with good bodies and handsome features. They do not bear arms and don't know them, for we showed them a sword. They took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They have no iron. Their spears are made of cane. Then this is what he says. They would make fine servants with 50 men. We could subjugate them. Meaning we could take them by force. We could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. So you see, he, he placed this, 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 this thought process and these evil thoughts upon a people group all because they were a little bit different. And it, they just treated them very poorly. And I think about that and I think about what James is literally saying and telling us why that type of thinking, why evil thoughts and prejudices is all wrong in verse 5. And he gives it very clear in verse 5. I love this verse. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. So James is saying this is wrong because it goes against the grace of God that he gives to all people, including the lowly. Family, let's look at it this way. God has chosen to save those that we might even look down upon or have disgust towards. Christ's resurrection and his death literally is a proof that he really died for those same people. God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom that he promised to those who love him. And this is even similar to what Moses even said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy uh, 10, 17 and 18. He says, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accept no bribes. And, he, and I love this. This is such beautiful poetic words from, from Deuteronomy. He says that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the alien, the outsider, giving him food and clothing. This is God's choosing. 
He loves on people who are different, even those that might look like they don't even deserve grace or mercy. This is God's choosing, and my thought is, do we think that we are better than God to choose who is worthy of the kingdom? He, the one who is determined who is worthy, he is the ultimate judge. And listen, I am glad that he is the ultimate judge because, listen, I struggle in passing the wrong types of judgments on things, especially when things look good and or look bad and then they actually are good. This reminds me of Lily. There's a time in my life where I was down in Pontiac, Michigan, and I was hanging with a buddy of mine. And some of you guys might even be able to relate to this type of experience. He says to me, hey, man, we got some, a good Chinese food restaurant down the street. And I'm like, all right, well, we should go over there. And as we're pulling up, I'm like, man, this place looks disgusting. And, and it absolutely did. We, we, and when we walked in, I'm like, man, it looks like they might have cockroaches and rats in the back. There's no telling what they have in here. But the thing is, what he told me before we even got there, he said, they have some of the best Chinese food you will ever eat. And I said, there's no possible way. I was like, that hole in the wall does? Okay, whatever, I'll give it a try. And so what we do is when we get home and I'm eating, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is definitely some of the best fried rice I've had. I love this stuff. This is really good. But all that is, though, when I think about that, is a small taste of what it is when something might not look like it has value, but it truly, truly does. The lowly can have value. And we think about what we were talking about, the Lord of glory. Jesus has placed that on even the things that we might consider lowly. And I love it because even Jesus, in the way he talks about the poor in Luke 6, 20, it says, he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Or Paul, when he, allude, he alludes to the work of Christ in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is just so good. Because the king of heaven who came down to earth as a carpenter with nowhere to lay his head, who rides, who rides in when he's supposed to be in glory, he rides in on a donkey when they wanted him on a horse who literally walks around and he's getting dirt on his sandals. When you think about it, he could have walked in the most glorious robes and all of these things. And when we look at his life, he literally died and lived a low life so that we might become rich in faith. This is the king that we serve. Jesus himself became lowly so we can be rich in faith. And so what that shows is that Jesus resonates with those that we might write off in society. He resonates with them. He says that they are worthy. I know what it's like. Doesn't mean that even the person that we might even view that way, the person who walk, who works at Walmart, or maybe the person who's begging for change on the, on the side of the road, or the person with dark skin, the person with pale skin, or maybe a person with a physical ailment, all of these people, as they love God, are going to be a part of the kingdom. And that is so much more worthy than the praise of mankind. It's so much more worthy. Because when we get to heaven... And we think about it, no matter how we viewed that person here, if they follow Christ, we will be worshiping with those same people in all of eternity, alongside of them. The ones that we thought, like, man, they are hard to love. Yeah, they came to know Jesus, and guess what? That person who was hard to love, the person that we look down upon, you're going to worship with them for all of eternity. This is what it's going to look like. And I love it when I go back and look at verse 5, because it's talking about there's really no true outward distinction of people who love God. People who love God, who follow Christ, are heirs to the kingdom, no matter what they look like. And I can only ask myself this question, does my heart love God enough to see people and others as valuable as he does? Does my heart love God enough to see people as valuable as he does? And so the question for all of us as we even wrestle is, do we love God? Or better yet, have we just forgotten the gospel of grace that literally saved us when we were not deserving of it one bit? 
How would you feel if God judged you the same way that you might have judgment towards other people? What if God said to all of us in this room, I only died for perfect people. I didn't die for the brokenhearted sinner. Guess what? Nobody in this room would make the cut because we all are flawed in so many ways. And listen, and a lot of y'all know we got messed up thoughts, messed up actions. We treat people wrong. All these things. We wouldn't make the cut. And sometimes I think that as, a, that as Christians, we forget that our sin is what actually makes us unclean and poor before God. It's like filthy rags is what the Old Testament talks about. We are undeserving of God's glorious grace. So why do we act as if other people who are different than ourselves have literally, are literally worthless, as if we earned something? We didn't earn any of it. What we have was given from Christ literally only. It was a free gift. He gave us his righteousness, imputed to us. We didn't earn this thing at all. And I know that that sound, sometimes sounds heavy, but there was some great joy. And praise God that in Christ, what he has done for us has allowed us to literally be heirs of the kingdom. We get to worship him as we love him. Now, I know that as I get ready to continue, one of the things I have to say is that James just doesn't let us off the hook. And it's like, dang, man, you're still going on and on. you just literally gut-punching me every time. Like, he's just going to keep going. And he does it in verse 6. And he says, but you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And essentially what he's saying here is that it makes no sense that they would mistreat the poor when the non-Christian rich people in the city are the ones who are literally mistreating the poor people in their church. So they're treating those who are oppressing those in their church better. They're treating them better than the poor people in their own church. That's essentially what he's saying. And if you go actually look and study this, it really shows that what happens is these rich people were actually taking the poor people into court so that they could literally subjugate and take all of what they even owned. So that's how deep it is. They were making them even more poor and lowly. And he says, why are you treating them with more value than the poor people in here? That's what he's talking about. He says, what, what happens is you don't understand that the way that you view them, they're the ones who are dishonoring the name by which you called. They don't even honor Jesus in their actions. And so essentially he's saying what you're doing is acting just like the same people in the world. That's what you're doing. It's like, why would your heart be bent towards wanting the approval of, the pe of people who mistrust those you care about and defame the name of Jesus? Like, why? Why would you want that? That's where he ends there. That's what that means. Now, from here, though, what he does is transitioning us. He transitions us into understanding how this actually plays out for all of us. And, and it's not even enough to just say, though, that I view people well or I have no prejudice. I have no discrimination in my heart towards anyone. I act towards people greatly. The question really for us is how are we even supposed to actually walk in the right ways? And James gives us an answer, which leads to my second point. And this is my second point. We must speak and act like people who have been shown and experienced God's love and mercy. We should speak and act like people who have experienced and have been shown God's love and mercy. So right here in verse 8, he answers the question of how do we live this out? What does this look like? He says, by fulfilling the royal law of loving our neighbors as ourselves. He talks about if we really fulfill the royal law. And in the Greek, the fulfillment of the royal law, the royal law is just something that belongs to the king. Meaning that, that God's law is supreme, it reigns above all things. It is to be like looking at his standard of life as the highest standard of ethics. 
So the royal law is literally God's law that's placed on the highest above all things. And what that means is for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is literally great because James, what he does is just goes right back to the teachings of his brother. He's talking about what Jesus said when the, when the disciples are asking him and the Pharisees were like, hey, so what are the greatest commandments? And he says, like, literally, I'll boil it down like this. Love God with all your heart, everything. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He boiled the whole law down into those two things. And James is just going right back to that. And so he's really asking, I think about this, I'm like, how much do I really love myself? I think that's the question that I fundamentally ask when I, when I think about that. And we can all agree that we want love and respect, don't we? We love, we would love for people to treat us well. I bet many of us, if we walked into a building, we would not want another person to shun us or ignore us or look at us with disgust or, or contempt in their hearts. How would we want someone to treat us? This question even applies to a topic that's so prevalent today and even in the topic of race. It's like, will we see the dignity of our black brothers and sisters, our white brothers and sisters, our Latino brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters? Will we decide to love them as ourselves? Will we lay down our pride and be humble before them, longing to understand and walk alongside them and have compassion for them? Would that be how we would walk in it? Since this is how we would treat ourselves, we would treat ourselves that way with compassion. That's what we would want, at least. And this can extend to all types of other people. It doesn't even have to include race. So before we cast judgment, why not we think and love them like we would ourselves? Now listen, if we refuse to act in this way, if we refuse to act in loving ways, even though you might even say, like, oh, man, I don't have partiality in my heart. I don't have no thought like that towards other people. The thing is, refusing to love your neighbor in action is partiality, however it may look, even in the smallest ways. And God will convict you in that. That is sin just as much as adultery or murder would be since God himself has set the standard of living and failing at in any of it is missing the mark. And so God himself is the one who has established it. And what James even shows us in 9 through 11 is if we view that type of sin, saying I didn't commit murder or adultery, I didn't do the big sins, and we kind of ignore the thing of partiality or the small types of sins, what we have done is literally lived in the pride of man, thinking that we can kind of manipulate God to kind of say that, hey, I didn't do that, so I'm okay here. And this is what, even what he says when he says it. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and you are convicted of the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of what? All of it. For he who said don't commit adultery also said do not murder. He says if you don't commit adultery, I, mean, I didn't do that one. He says, but you do murder. Guess what? You have become a transgressor of the law. So when we say, no, I haven't done such thing as even murder or adultery. Hey, I'm good. I haven't committed any other major sins except that I've had evil thoughts. And guess what? Those things are sin as well. Especially when we, the way we view people who are different than us. Our prejudice is a violation of the royal law of God and it makes us guilty of all of the law. So it matters just as much as even the big sins. And we cannot act as though we can just obey God in one area and deliberately disobey in the other and think that we're just okay. We're called to actually live in obedience in every single area of our lives, even in our thoughts. 
Like, that's why, like, God wants us to have a pure mind and pure, pure thought life. It talks about it all throughout the New Testament in the scriptures. And that was one of the reasons why he even wanted to give us the Holy Spirit. So even in thought and in action, we can actually walk in his ways. And so when you, when you think about that, it makes sense why verse 12 is sitting here. Verse 12, it says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That's what he says. He just, he's just making it very clear for all of us. And what he's saying is that we must live like people who understand God's judgment. To live like people that know that God is a God of justice who will punish all who never repent. Living like Christ has actually set us free from the power of sin and death. That Christ has actually paid our debt that we never earned. That he gave freely. He says, go and live like a person that understands this. And guess what? That's a part of loving your neighbor as yourself. In speaking and in action. And then he transitions in verse 13, giving his final plea. And he says that judgment is without mercy to the, to the one who has shown no mercy. So essentially what James is saying, that when we judge others without showing them mercy, what he is essentially saying, this is kind of crazy, is that we are literally acting as if we are people who have not been shown mercy by God. As if we aren't going to experience eternal judgment. Meaning a life of partiality and judgment actually is devoid of mercy. It's not showing people mercy. This is, that, this is the opposite of what Jesus says when Jesus says, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy. So you see how that correlates. We are called to be merciful as we are being shown mercy. That's what he is talking about here. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Now, I know that this can be really, really hard for us. And I must say that when we battle with our sin, we will understand that we will fail at this at times. There's going to be times where we might actually walk in these ways. We are not exempt from showing favoritism or partiality or discrimination or prejudice. We're just not. But what we have to do, and this is a huge point, is that we must continually repent before God Ask Christ to change our hearts and continue seeking Jesus and pleading before Jesus. That's what we must do. Now, if you fail in this, though, and you just don't care about what I'm saying or what the Lord's speaking through James, then these words should very, from James should be very terrifying to you. They should be very terrifying to you. Because if you don't want to show mercy, then guess what? You won't be shown mercy. That's what he's saying. But I thank God, though, that James doesn't end there for us. As we even get ready to close, I want to invite the band up here. Because he literally gives us this blessed hope. This blessed hope right in the end in just a couple words. Something that we should literally look to and we should sing praises to God. Because guess what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Meaning it reigns victorious over judgment. Mercy is removing what you actually deserve, which is death because of our sin, and giving you something you could not have earned, which is eternal life with Christ. So praise God for his mercy that he's displayed to all of us through Jesus. By allowing his son to literally come in the form of man, to live this perfect life, to take on sin and death, even though he was innocent and didn't commit any of the things that they said he did. So that we don't have to experience a judgment that we deserve because of our sin. Thank God that Christ rose on that third day. 
Thank God that he rose on that third day. Because now we can look and we can look to heaven and say his mercies are upon us forevermore. God's mercy was literally shown towards us through the cross of Christ. And this mercy can be given to us if we repent and turn from our ways and follow Jesus. If we repent and turn from our partiality and lay at his feet. Because his mercy triumphs over the judgment that we deserve. And so because of that, let us go out and show mercy just as Christ has done for us. So when we leave here today, let our actions and our speech show mercy. Let us be merciful like Christ has been merciful for us. Let us go and be patient and kind and gentle. Let's be that for other people, even if they seem worse than us. Even if they are hard to love. God has shown us mercy, so let us go and live in the same exact ways. Let us walk in love like Christ towards our neighbor, fulfilling the royal law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this gracious word that you have blessed us with this morning. We thank you for the words of James. Even though they seem very hard, we know that you are just speaking to us out of love. We know that there are moments in our lives where literally discipline seems painful, but I know in Hebrews 12 you talk about it's literally used to make us more like into your image, to make us more holy like you are holy. I know that that's what you want for us, and so I pray that you would give us pure hearts and minds. I pray that we would look upon people with just this, this, this love and compassion like Christ would the lowly, and that we would follow him with all of our hearts. Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Thank you for True North and all that you're doing here. Thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to even just present your word before them. I pray that you would just bless this church, that you continue to use Rex to be a vessel um, and all everyone that is in here, that they would just glorify you in all areas of life. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.